Well, welcome back to the podcast, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. Dr. Jeff Bucknam is the lead pastor of Teaching and Vision at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicagoland. I'm your host, Tommy Kreitz, and we're going to have a conversation with someone today because we believe that everyone has a story. But before we get into that conversation, a little pre-ramble. This guy has a story, though. This the guy, guy we're talking yeah. to today, he's got, he's got a story. And we're going to get into it quickly. So if you dislike this part of the show... <laughs> This is going to be the best we're one speed, for you. We're speeding it up. This is going to be the best one for you. In fact, we're going to keep it uh, pretty light today, and we're going to talk about Jeff. The person that we're talking to is um, is a bit of a... He doesn't like to be called this, which I'm sure uh, you guys will discuss, he's, but he's a bit of a theologian. Wow, he doesn't like being called that because people who are... It, theologians, are that's like a technical term in the academy for right. somebody who's like done systematic or biblical theology. Whereas he is more of a New Testament, I think. He's guy. an exegete. Yeah, that's what he's he, an exegete. Yeah. So yeah. it's like talking to a doctor and you say, <laughs> "Yes, hey, doctor. Uh, oh, well, I'm a physician. Yes. You know, and you're like, I, I'm a pedi- pediatric physician. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, you're a pediatrician. I don't, th- is that? There's differences. Well, it's different than an oncologist. Yes. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, fine. <clears throat> so, yeah, so for in, the rest of us, he's a doctor. Yes, a doctor. He is a doctor. Doctor of letters. Just like you, doctor. Doctor, doctor. Um, feeling left out. Uh, and so we're going to talk quickly about what is your favorite theological view? View. Of anything. Your favorite theology to discuss. There we go. Soteriology. Soteriology. Meaning the doctrine of salvation. salvation. Yeah. So questions like... Uh, who are the elect and how did they get to be the elect? And uh, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the doctrine of election? And what does that mean in regards to how, what people are like when you preach the gospel to them? What is their natural state versus what needs to happen in order for them to believe? And in what order those things happen? And can they lose salvation or is it something that God does and keeps them in. And what happens when somebody is what we call apostate is that they fall away from the faith. And so all of that stuff, <clears throat> all about it. Love it. You love all of it. I do. I even like talking about things like uh, inclusivism and which is the belief that uh, if you're a really good Buddhist or a really good Hindu, whatever, Jesus will count your goodness in that particular religion yeah. as saving because you responded to the whatever light that was before you. And is that sufficient for eternal salvation? It's Jesus died for you and his righteousness is applied to you. It's just that you responded to the light you had instead of the Christianity, which you didn't have. So it's a miss, it's a missiological missions yep. thing. I find that fascinating. All of that stuff. Wow. I geek out on it way too much. In fact, if I have to, yeah, I've read way, way too much about it. Favorite book on the subject? <sighs> Soteriology. Um, John Piper's new book. Uh, no, <laughs> no, do you know what is, um, um, there's a book that Sam Storms wrote that is called Chosen for Life that I think is excellent. And it deals with the doctrine of election. Yeah. And I, I just think it, he, he doesn't, Great job. Sam Storm is a great author. Yeah. Personally, I think he's, mm-hmm. he's outstanding. He's kind of a weird mix. He's a kind of charismatic reformed guy. So really love, love his stuff. Really love reading about him yeah. and, and things like that. If you had to synthesize your Dallas grad, just like me. Oh yeah. yeah. If you had to synthesize your position on soteriology and do you want me to use the theological words for it? Yeah. 
Sure. Yes. And then you have to explain them to people. <laughs> no. So I, you, I, Jeff, you need to know this. Jeff has used two words in the past two weeks to me that not only did I not know, but that I- Intransigent amanuensis, <laughs> yeah. both of them. Not only did Which I not are, and, and, know them, and, and I've never heard them in my life. amanuensis is a very, very stubborn secretary. <laughs> so. So fun facts. Jeff is full of big words. So. Uh, he's full of other things as well. Um, so what was your question? If you had to synthesize your oh, position. Well, my position. Mm-hmm. I, listen, I would be largely reformed in my soteriological views. I'm not reformed in my understanding of baptism, so I'm kind of reformed Baptist. But as far as the soteriology goes, I believe uh, the only way anyone gets saved is God by a sovereign act of his will uh, opens their eyes so that they can love Jesus. And he has determined before the foundations of the world who that who that will be and who he will act in in grace uh, toward in that way. I believe that election and reprobation are uh, different. Um, there's, di- there's a different action in those. So election is the, is the electing people to life, but reprobation is the consigning people to eternal damnation. I don't think that God's actions in reprobation are the same in his action of, of election, meaning that I think that God chooses and draws people, but he l- more leaves those. And I think he's righteous in leaving those who choose not to repent. I think God is righteous in all ways. Yes. I think that he's just in all ways. And I think that, uh, who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? And to be honest with you, I was not always, I didn't always hold that view at mm-hmm. all. In fact, I was very committed Arminian, uh, and more Wesleyan in my thinking for a long time. And then you read the Bible. I'm just kidding. It's funny. People ask me, Oh, it changed your mind. It it really, it was the, the Bible. Um, the Bible's a challenge. If you're a, if you hold a a really large Arminian view and I listen, I've, I've taught people who I think are what we call Pelagian, meaning they're heretics and they believe that people are born good. Basically I've taught people who are Pelagian in my church, how to be a good Arminian so that they're within orthodoxy. Uh, I want them to, I always tell them, I'm telling you something that I don't actually agree with or believe, but I'm just telling you that there are certain things that you need to agree with, right? That we're born in sin and, you know, deserve judgment and all that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I, um, yeah, this is fun. So here's the thing is, is it's hard to describe though. I'm like, I teach classes. You do. I actually teach. Oh yeah. I've been teaching classes for Mm -hmm. years, but one of the things that one of my favorite classes to teach actually is a comparison between, between Calvinism and Arminian doctrine and how they understand drawing and election and all that kind of stuff. Coming to a campus near you. Well, our theology class yes, that we do. The systematic one. Yeah, right? systematic theology. We do it in a year. Right now we're doing, uh, Kyle Meeker and I are doing it out at um, out at Rolling Meadows. And When uh, is the soteriology section of the... Be next, well, we do it every year. So usually, oh. I mean, honestly, we, there are three terms in the year, 10 weeks each, and we do three terms. You can come for any given one of those terms, but uh, we and you go through again. all of theology proper? Good chunk, a good yeah. chunk of it. Wow. So a lot, a lot of uh, next year we'll start in the fall winter, spring. I'm not even sure we're doing it. I think it might be 
Crystal Lake. Uh, Crystal Lake, <laughs> Elgin. I don't, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it will be. It's on. It's on camera. Be aware. It's at Crystal Lake. You yeah. heard it here, folks. It's always funny to me, though. Some people. <laughs> I've met some people who are like, "Wow, we're sure we, we'd have a chance to sit and talk with you more about this." And I'm and I I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, part of my challenge is that we I, I speak at different campuses, and sometimes I have to leave the campus I'm at to go quickly to another campus, and then other times I'm just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I need to take a break between sermons. But one of the things I've told people, if you want to go somewhere and spend any time talking to me about stuff. I'm like on Tuesday nights, usually at the Rolling Meadows campus, there's me and like me, Kyle, and about 10 to 12 other people sitting in a room together for an hour and a half talking about theology. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you then and afterwards all the time. So dear listeners, you let us know um, if we should bring this segment back, which would be uh, the... Our te- What's your our favorite the- theology? Yeah, yeah, like right. uh, you know, before instead of rambling about nothing, what if maybe we ramble maybe. about theology about for a moment? D- we can do all of that. We could do. Yeah, yeah. We'll switch. You know, yeah. write an email. I don't to- usually use the categories though with people. Yeah, uh, and that's because you know uh, people who have a bad experience with somebody who is reformed end up attaching that bad experience to you. Yeah. Similarly, if somebody has a bad experience with somebody who has another, you know, like if you are, uh, you know, somebody believes in pedo you know, which is a child baptism. Uh, sometimes people are like, well, I knew people like that and they're all Catholic and stuff. Whereas the Presbyterian and the Catholic are very different. Uh, so it, sometimes it's helpful to just talk about with you, without using the labels to be yeah. able to talk about them and why it is that you hold the view from scripture. So if you like this, email us. Yeah. Conversations. At Jeff Bucknam. I don't know what it is. We don't have a... (laughs) Visit our website. It's there somewhere, probably. Maybe not. We're uh, very helpful. (laughs) We're super helpful. We've got all of the information for you. Uh, But we are going to have a conversation now. Speaking of theologians. Speaking of theology, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Michael Van Lanningham, who is um, a congregant or church, and he teaches... Long, long long-time professor longtime professor at, at Moody, Moody Bible, Bible Institute. Yeah. He is currently teaching a Greek class for Grace Theological Seminary, yeah. Harvest Deploy, yeah. uh, which is fantastic, fantastic. I know firsthand. Um, He's and a sharp dude. Very, very, and, and a great all-around guy. So uh, you guys are going to have a conversation because he has a story, and we're going to get into that right now. Let's go. So I'm sitting here with Mike Van Lanningham, Dr. Michael, what's your middle name? Glenn. Glenn Van Lanningham, which is a Dutch name. It is. You ain't much if you ain't Dutch. That's what so, they say. So Mike, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you are not the normal height of a Dutchman. You're not super, super tall. Um, my Dutch roots go back 14 generations. Holy smokes. The name has persisted, but nothing else basically has. Okay. I've, I've got more other kinds of French and... Scottish and British blood in me than I've got anything else. So, but the name, the name persists. Um, you're from where? Where's like, where's your hometown? I was born and reared in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> you have any idea where that is, Jeff? Mike, you and I, when I first met you, that was what we talked about. <laughs> yes, I do know where it is. Mike, where in Seattle are you from? Uh, North End. Uh, it was about a mile and a half 
east of the University of Washington oh, wow. um, in Laurelhurst View Ridge. I went to school with um, uh, the founder of Microsoft. Um, how come I can't remember? Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah. He's in, really? He's he in, from that, yeah. that area? I didn't know he's from North Seattle. Yeah. I was in a couple of different elementary classes with him, and he yeah. went all the way through junior high with us, and then he went to a private school. So I knew little Billy Gates is what we called him. And yeah. I was the only guy who was ever nice to him. Everybody else picked on him, but I was nice to him. And I'm, if he was looking for me now to reward me for my kindness <laughs> to him, I, I would, he's I would available. He, could, he could find me probably. So, but yeah. he's got, Apparently he's got some farmland he could give you. Uh, so I'm, he, I'm sure he's probably got a lot everything. of things. Yes. A lot of things he could give yes. you. Yes. Right. So you want to hear a weird connection then with Bill Gates. My niece actually works as one of his uh, personal assistants. Huh. Yeah. So everything surrounds Bill Gates here yeah. at the uh, Conversations with Jeff Bucknam podcast. Did you like growing up in Seattle? I did, but I didn't know any different. You know, um, it rains a lot. There, oh, yeah, it does. You know. But when you grow up there, you, you don't you actually don't, think that. You don't, you don't notice it. You know, I left Seattle and I attended school um, at a little school in Lincoln, Nebraska, not the university, and came, came to find out that you could be in October or November and it could be 28 degrees outside and you had this glorious blue sky. Yeah. Which you don't have in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just don't hardly ever there's have a few. It, so. There's a few days a year and it's those days that everyone says this is the most magnificent place. Yeah. And, and it is. Listen, um, Mount Rainier starts yep. to show and the Space Needle is gleaming and Lake Washington and like Sammamish and the Elliott Bay. They're phenomenal places. They are. And uh, quite remarkable. I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid and um, we had a really active troop and we hiked a lot. And, yeah. there, you know, so I've been all over the Northwest and so many different settings. And it's, have you really hiked, uh, did you hike anything, any, like any mountains or anything in your, in your life? Like not mountain climbing. Okay. Not like that. Just, just sort of dirt trails. We'd hike in, you know, sure. 10, 10 miles somewhere and set up camp for a day or two and yeah. hike out. And for three summers in a row, I did 50 milers, which was oh, wow. really, really cool. Different parts of Washington. And so, yeah. So when Mike beautiful. says that he's, he wasn't climbing mountains for people in the Midwest and the, and the East coast, they were mountains for, that's what they yeah. call them. Like the Appalachians are shorter than what he would have been climbing there. But I didn't, I didn't use like, we didn't use like tons and no. crampons and stuff. No. Yeah, mountains like in the West coast are like Shasta and bachelor yeah. and Baker and, yeah. uh, yeah. Rainier. So I, I have to tell you a story. You can appreciate this as a Seattle native Starbucks, right? Yeah. My dad worked downtown Seattle, mm -hmm. about two blocks from the original, original Starbucks. Which is directly across from Pike Place Market. Right. And then their second shop, they opened in University Village, close to the University, yeah. University of Washington. And, and my folks always bought coffee there. And that's all they had then. You, you could go in and they'd have a pot of coffee on a, on a burner. And you could pour yourself a cup of coffee, but that's all they had. They were selling coffee. Huh. And I remember sitting in my kitchen with my mom and dad, and they were looking at each other. And my dad said, you know, Jan, that's my mom, we should invest in Starbucks. And mom said, she just started laughing. She said, oh, invest in coffee? Who would do that? Well, We're not going to do that. And I kind of wish now maybe they yeah, had. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know. So Costco is from the Seattle area as well. It is, uh, so when you read Kirkland Signatures, there's a town on the east side of Seattle called Kirkland. 
And uh, actually, Redmond is where Microsoft is. Redmond and Kirkland, right next to each other. Kirkland's on the water in Lake Washington. And the original Costco is there in Kirkland. Hmm. Uh, when my, my mother took me to that Costco because my, my father had been offered to be like an initial investor. He was a businessman in Seattle and they had gone around to the business community and said, Hey, would you be interested in investing in this company? Here's the idea. So I remember going there to the Costco with my mom. Cause she was saying, Oh, your, your dad is trying to figure out whether or not this is even a thing or whatever. And I went in and got a, a hot dog. And it was best hot dog I ever had in my life. And my dad was like, I don't know, you have to buy like bulk of bulk yeah. macaroni and cheese and stuff. Who's going to ever do that? And now I kick him. There was my inheritance yeah. right there that, with his dumb it. decision. Yep. So, so when would that have been? Just out of curiosity, tell so me about what that would have been was. in the, well, 80s. Um, I would, that would have been the 80s when I was there. I don't know exactly when in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, See, I left Seattle in 1973. I was born in 1972 and arrived in Seattle in 1974. Okay. So okay. we just, you know, yeah. I tag team Seattle. There. Yeah. We, you you but, left, I, I arrived. I, so I haven't lived out there really other than summers for a long time. Yeah. And so now when, when you talk to me about Costco, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea that that's where it originated. Yeah. So a lot of stuff... I'm just not very familiar with the city anymore. It's know? okay. It's a different. It's looking different all the time. Yeah, so yeah it <laughs> these is. days. Yeah. Um, do you know of a company called Amazon's? Because they're based out of there too. Did you know out of Seattle? <laughs> yeah. No idea. Okay. <laughs> really? Yes, they. Are. No, stop it. No. I, did you I, not know that? I did not oh, know yeah. that. Yeah, Amazon. I just is from Seattle. I just use them all the yeah. time. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So does everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike, did you grow up in a Christian family going to church or? Not a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest necessarily have right. that background. Right. No. Um, m my mom and dad had a great relationship with the United Methodist Church and no relationship with Christ. Mm. So they're good church people. And um, they took us to church mainly during the school year. We might go two or three Sundays out of a month, uh, never during the summer because they just all wanted to take the summer off from church. Yeah. Um, and so it, I was raised in a very moral home, mm. but it was not a Christian home. You have brothers and sisters? I have a younger brother, uh, about three years younger than me, and a sister who's a year older. Okay, so middle child. Yeah. Right. And what did you do when you were a kid to, to have fun? Was it hiking and Boy Scouts and that kind of thing? Do you have an eagle? Are you an Eagle Scout? Oh, no. Okay. I got into, <laughs> this is embarrassing, I got into Boy Scouting late not until I was like a ninth grader. Yeah. Usually you start, I don't know, sixth grade or something yeah, yeah. like that. And uh, I saw my brother all suited up and geared up to go on a hike. And I thought, oh, I got to do this too. Yeah. And so I joined when I was in the ninth grade or as a sophomore in high school or something. It was really late. I made it to second class. There's okay. tenderfoot and second class. All right. And I thought, I don't want to mess. I want to go hiking. I didn't want to mess with merit badges. <laughs> merit. I, I, I just, I, I was about as, um, you know, disinterested as I could be in that kind of stuff. All my friends got it to be Eagle Scouts, but yeah. I just didn't have that. What kind of ambition. stuff did you do when you were a kid? What, what interested yeah. you? Uh, sports. Yeah, as a nut, as related to football and track. Which, um, uh, which sports? Football and, uh, and track. And um, like I was, you're going to laugh when I tell did you Did you this. compete in them or yeah. just be a fan of them? Yeah. No, I competed. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was, I started, um, 
My senior year uh, in it, in football, I started at four different positions. Wow. Defensive end. At the same time. Cornerback, fullback, halfback. They they had injuries at different positions. Wait a minute, you were the defensive end and the cornerback. Not at the same time. I mean, they're still, I mean, the size games. difference for those two. Yeah, you know what, though? I was I was strong, and I was coordinated, and I was fast. Yeah. And, and, um, and they had a guy at halfback who was the third fastest kid in the state, and mm. he came on really well toward the end of the season, so they didn't need me. He and I were alternating plays in and out. Oh, wow. And so they just moved me then around to wherever they needed somebody to fill in. And, and that was, that was kind of disconcerting because I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a master at, right. at being a cornerback or right. something like that. Defensive end was probably my most favorite position, but some yeah. of the, that, that is uh yeah, the youth, youth sports. If you are really good at a lot of positions, but not a master of any one, unfortunately you end up getting passed by some other people. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, it's they only take the specialists. You know, you go to college and stuff. Yeah, it's just right, the specialists right. that they're taking. They're not taking the all around yeah. guys. I played. I played in college for two years, small college in Nebraska. And is that why you went to Nebraska? No, um, they. I went because because my my grandparents and my great grandparents all went to this school. Oh. And my grandmother looked at me and said, "Yeah, you know, when I was a senior in high school, Mike, have you decided where you're going to go to college?" And I said, "Well, not yet." She said, "You should go to Nebraska Wesleyan." Mm. I went, "Okay," so I did. I'd just become a Christian at that point, and I wanted to get away from Seattle. All my friends were going to go to the U, and I thought, you know what, I would join a fraternity and get drunk every week with them, and, and I, just, I, I wanted to turn over a new leaf, and so I ran away is what I did. Wow. And actually, it was a great decision. I met my wife there and you know, have some wonderful Christian friends. Still. So I want to ask about how you met your wife. But before that, how did you come to faith in Christ? Your family just goes to this. They, they, did you get involved in a youth ministry or like youth? I don't even know if youth Christ and those things were. Yeah, uh, campus life. Um, but I, I had uh, several pretty good friends who um, were either closet Christians or had recently become Christians. Huh. And they decided to make it their uh, goal in life to get Mike saved. And so they, they called a Bible study, assembled a Bible study, and invited me to come. And um, on Friday, the 14th of July, 1972, out in front of Diane Thomas's house at 6827 18th Avenue Northeast in Seattle, I trusted Christ as my Savior about 1130 at night. That was nine days after I was born. What do you know? So you've yeah. you've been a Christian as long as I've yeah. been alive. Over, over I mean, except years. for like nine days. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I, I it, wish I had more to show for it for Jesus. Yeah, I really do. What? what uh, was there a particular reason? Was it just because your friends were doing it, or was that the message just kind of stuck with you? So as I said, I was raised in a really moral home and um, had just enough church to to know right and wrong. Mm-hmm. I was doing plenty of wrong. I mm. was, I did a lot of drinking and I chased a lot of girls and the providence of God. I never caught any, you know mm. what that means, right? Yeah, okay. I but I chased a lot of girls, smoked a lot of dope. And, um, and I, and I knew the whole time I knew all of it was wrong. I just knew it was. Mm. I, and my conscience bothered me a lot when I did that stuff. And when they called the Bible study at Diane's house and they, they told me what I already knew. And that is that there's forgiveness in Christ. And I thought, that's what I need. Wow. So I trusted Christ that night. And then I, I got in lo- involved in a 
Camps Life group, and it was a great, great group. You know, I was born and raised in the United Methodist Church, and I didn't even know to think to try to find a biblical church, Mm. um, a more biblically-minded church. My apologies to any United Methodists out there, but it's time to leave the denomination. It is royally apostate. I'm sorry for saying it so boldly, but it just really is. So Right now it is, yeah. Right now There's no question about it, which is John Wesley himself was looking down from heaven, shaking his head. He'd be really ticked off. Yes, Yes, he is in Jesus together. Yeah. Um, are you, uh, so you went to college and what was your plan? Did, what did you want to do? Yeah, I wanted, because I, I had done well in sports and loved sports. I wanted to be um, a phys ed teacher and um, a football and track coach. Wow. Yeah. And so I started out that way and then. Um, Training to be a teacher. Yeah. And then I realized that I really wanted to have more, uh, potentially more impact in the lives of students than what. PE and coaching might afford. Mm. And so I switched majors still in teaching, but to English where you have a lot of opportunity because I, I loved literature. I loved writing. Um, and when you discuss the famous literary works that are out there, it gives you all kinds of opportunities to talk about moral things, um, values, biblical, biblical things, even indirectly. And, and so uh, I switched majors and, um, Went and did that. Taught high school English for one year and at, uh, in Grand Island, Nebraska, after my wife and I got married. And um, got in trouble for talking about Jesus in the classroom a couple of times, which is really crazy. Yeah, it is. It's because you think about the timing. Yeah, I mean, and the, the thing is, is that what they assigned me was three sections of 11th grade, which is a survey of American literature. Yeah, Guess what? You? The first 150 years of American literature, we're talking about it's Cotton Mather that. and Phyllis Wheatley and yeah. Jonathan Edwards. And, and so, so I'm talking about these things and trying to establish sort of a biblical context mm-hmm. for what those people were talking about in their writings as we're reading them. Yeah. And I, I got, I got in trouble. Get your hand slapped. Yeah. Which probably signal though to you, uh, well, that or a foreshadow of your future. Well, that it was you know, sort of during that time where I began to think, you know, maybe, maybe public school teaching really isn't right for me yeah. and, uh, and we really should go to, to seminary. And so, um, that's what we decided. How'd you to meet, do. uh, your wife? Um, through mutual friends of ours at the college that I attended. She did not go to school there, Okay, but she had a bunch of friends who is did. Is she from Nebraska? She is. Okay. Grand Island, Nebraska. Yeah. Big town. Yeah. Well, you is know, it? I don't know. Third, third biggest town in the state. Okay. About 50,000 people. All right. Grand Island is a great town. I love, I love Grand Island. We lived there for a year. Um, but yeah, I met through um, some friends of uh, mutual friends of ours. Um, her friends went to school there and I met her through them. And, you know, I, I was, yeah. I, love at first sight. Oh, uh, no. Okay. No, I'm pretty sure. Where would you meet her? Did you guys just go out, like, yeah. just out yeah. Yeah. hanging through, around somewhere? friends. You know, her yes, friends when? would come to a Bible study that I was okay. helping to lead, and um, and they'd bring Sue. When Sue would come down to Lincoln, you know, 100 miles away from Grand Island, she'd come down, and she'd go to Bible study with us and go to church with all of us. And okay. We met, we met that way. So. so how often did she have to come down before there was interest there? Oh, I, you know, we had the strangest, the strangest first, um, first six or eight months. You know, I, I had just um, been dumped by a girl who I led to Christ, and um, I had decided that I was going to kiss dating goodbye before it was popular to kiss dating goodbye. And I just thought I need to just focus on my relationship with the Lord. Mm. And so Sue, and then I met, I re-met Sue at that point, and I thought, oh man, she was, 
um, godly, stable, solid. She's a rock in every regard. Uh, she is not unemotional, not by a long shot, but she is very steady. Yeah. And the girl I just who just dumped me was like an emotional roller coaster. It was right. terrible. And when she was up, I was up. When she was down, I was down. And so my life was just miserable. Yeah. But Sue's not that way. And so is and and I was very attracted to her. Um, because of her character, most of all, I yeah. think she's beautiful, Yeah, but I was really attracted to her character, but because I had kissed dating goodbye and made some, some commitments to the Lord to focus on my relationship with him, I was uh, not going to date. And so for about eight or nine months, we traded letters, you know, back in the days where we actually wrote letters, we, yeah. we did a lot of that and our relationship grew really wonderfully. And then finally, um, I thought, no, it's time. You know, I, I think I need to. You know, this is this is the one who I should marry. The very first time we ever went out, I thought to myself, I should marry this girl. You know, if I can, I should marry her. Did you tell her that? And yes, <laughs> I, not that night, not that night. But she knows. And and um and what and the only the only thing she was thinking was this guy is never going to call me ever again. You know, we, we were just completely. She completely misread me on that. But yeah. So I was, I was really coy for six or eight months and then we confessed our love to each other. And just after that, all we ever did was just make out. We just made out all the time. So good times. <laughs> so then you got married. We got married six days after I graduated from college. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Do you know, it's interesting. Uh, I actually, there's a part of my story with my wife where it, we were writing letters, actually airmail back and forth. And I was in Austria and she was in Washington state and in, what are you doing in Austria? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, that really did solidify a relationship yeah. partly because writing letters, uh, is a way to reveal your soul, mm -hmm. right? You feel much, uh, it's kind of maybe today the way that people text. The problem with texting is it's so short yeah. and shallow. You don't ever get to the point where you can actually write out <clears throat> a thing. And so it doesn't happen as, I mean, people, I guess they have video these days and they can do FaceTime and all that kind of thing. But yeah. I actually think the world misses something that they can't trade letters. People get to know each other really, really well through the written word. Yep. Yeah. You can very much fall in love with somebody. But you can, and we did. And um, we, we realized when we got married that only on two occasions had we spent a total of two weeks together straight. Okay, so the rest of the time, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, going to school, and she's in Grand Island, Nebraska, 100 miles away. And so she would drive down for a weekend, you know, um, and we'd visit then two or th two days, yeah. and then she'd go back home. Right. So a couple of times over spring breaks or Christmas vacations, I'd go out to her house where, where she was still living with her mom and dad, and and I'd, I'd stay there with them. But but we were we only spent, you know, yeah. two weeks together twice and when people hear that they kind of go oh, that's insane you know you didn't even know each other well yeah we did and part of it is because of the letters so mike i'm trying to do the math here 1973 when, when i started college and you married her in 1977 77 yeah. yeah so you've been married for 46 46 years wow yeah my math is. I'm That's not, fantastic. Well, you're a math not a mathematician. Person. You don't no, need to I'm do not math. a math person. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be. I think it's forty six years. That's fantastic. This May, a couple of months. How yeah. many kids do you have? We have two kids. Yeah. Um, we have daughter Becky, who's married, four children, and uh, her pa her uh, husband. They're both Moody grads. 
Um, her husband is a pastor of a medium-sized Baptist church in Aurora. And so I just want okay. you to know that my favorite church in Aurora is not, not a harvest, harvest church. Yeah. I mean, I love your John second Bell. favorite is Harvest. Yes. Favorite church is your son-in-law. Yes. And my son and uh, daughter-in-law, they um, live in the Grays Lake area close to where we are. And he's, they're both public school teacher. He, he teaches high school um, government and economics, and she is a public school fifth grade teacher. And they have five children. Wow. They fostered and adopted four and then had a bio baby. And, wow. the, and the kids are all sort of kind of close together in age and busy, very busy, like, like crazy busy. Yeah. So they, they just moved um, about a half an hour closer to us. They were in Waukegan. Now they're in a little town called Third Lake, close to Gray's Lake. And um, that's great because they need um, help. They need help. Yeah. And and we, we want to provide that. That's one of the things we really wanted to do in retirement. That's to, fantastic. To work with them. Mike, you got involved, though, at some point along the way in Christian education. Was it right after you had decided that this public thing might not be your thing because you were telling everybody about Jesus? Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, you know, so I, I went into pastoral ministry um, because I really loved studying and teaching the Bible. And, and, I, and I went... And, and people know this. I tell people this. I, um, I'm ashamed to say it, but I went into pastoral ministry because I wanted to become famous. And, and at this time, Bill Gothard was really big. And oh, yeah. I, I love Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and those guys. And I thought, yeah, you know, I can teach as good as them. And, and so I, I wanted to do that. And it was totally, obviously, obviously, it was just so completely and obscenely the wrong motivation. Mm. It really was, which is why in my first pastorate in Nebraska, uh, my church never grew past 110. When I started there, we had about 112. When I left, we had about 114. It was really exciting <laughs> to see all that growth. Seven years later, you know, and then uh, and I just I realized that uh, I was not well suited for pastoral ministry. What about it specifically was a challenge for you? Yeah, two or three things. Um, number one. Um, I was apparently not an effective leader. I, I knew where I was supposed to try to help lead the church. You know, this is under the providence of God and with his help. Okay, yeah, I'm just totally. going to say all of that. But I had a pretty good idea biblically of where our church needed to go. But I couldn't sell the vision to anybody. <laughs> and, and we just, we couldn't get there. And so we, we burned a lot of calories and spent a lot of money, even though it's a small church. And to have almost nobody come to Christ. Um, there were some people, you know, I think when I left the church, there were people that were blessed by us having been there, but um, it didn't feel that way very much. That was the first thing. Second thing is um, I got really, really tired of being shot in the back. Mm. And it, sometimes you got to shoot a pastor. Sometimes you should. But you never shoot him in the back. You know, and by that, I mean, if you, if a pastor yeah. offends somebody, you don't go call all your friends in your small group and tell them what a jerk the pastor is. Yeah. You know, if the pastor has let you down, you go to him and you shoot him in the face, you know, and pardon that expression, no, it's but, good. but you, you, you go to him and, and deal with it eyeball to eyeball and try to, and most of the time if somebody would come to me, I could see how I'd done something wrong or yeah. that hurt them or let them down or whatever. And I was more than happy to fix it and to do whatever it took to do that. But way too often I didn't have the opportunity because I didn't, I didn't, they wouldn't come to me and they would tell everybody else. And now I got a problem with 20 people instead of one or two. Right. 
so that was, I got really tired of that. And, um, and then the other thing was, I thought I really, what I liked best in ministry was studying and teaching the word. And so I thought, let's go somewhere where I could maximize my joy and my effectiveness and minimize my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so I headed off to uh, Trinity's PhD program. Okay. So Trinity, uh, where did you get your master's degree then? Talbot Seminary in Southern California. God bless you. It's a great school. It is a great school. It was it was a great school then, and it's a great school, maybe even stronger now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, that's where I got my doctorate. So that's yeah. why I'm advocating. Right. Talbot's a fantastic place to go. It is a tremendous school. school. Yeah. Um, what you so, where did that fit in? You were in uh, in uh, Nebraska. Did you go down to Southern California from there? Um. Yes. For a few years? Down to Talbot. We were there for in Southern Cal for five years. Yeah. And I was on staff uh, two years part-time, two years full-time of fairly good-sized Baptist General Conference Church in yeah. Yucaipa, California. Yeah. And then... Um, and back to... And back to Nebraska to a little town called York, Nebraska. that's where you were pastoring. That's where I pastored for seven years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then so we went and up Chicago. to... Then Chicago. What's that? Then Chicago. Trinity. Came up to Trinity. Yep. And uh, I worked for four years as a full time as a security guard at so, Trinity. N- no, it was it was um, a contract security company that that we worked for various other companies. And so, uh, what were you guarding? Um, the first couple of years I was there, it was a um, a home for severely uh, mentally challenged adults called the Ann Kiley Developmental Center um, in North Chicago. And, uh, and, uh, that got to be, that was a really hard job. That was the work, the work circumstances there were really terrible. Yeah. I was there for two years yeah. and then I, um, then I quit and went and worked for about a year and a half for a co- different company. And I was at Allstate insurance, which just recently has closed down. Um, but I was there until Guess you're not in good hands. <laughs> well, I, sorry, not anymore. A reference to their not years anymore. long. Yeah. Remember the guy? He was a real deep voice. You're in yeah. good hands with Allstate. <laughs> Little did we know. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, uh, you know, I. What's I the was, weirdest thing that happened when you were a security guard? Oh, I, you know, I mean, the fact that I had people taking swings at me every really? day. And, you know, they, they, um, because I, because I was, um, um, because I was white mm-hmm. and I was helping to guard a facility that employed almost exclusively African-American people, people of color. Um, they did not like me being in a position of authority. And so one night they keyed up my car. My, yeah. Both my doors really, really, really bad. And of course I was in a position where I didn't have any insurance at the time because yeah. I was in school and I was poor. And so I couldn't get it fixed. And, and we drove a keyed, keyed up. up car for the for a couple of years after that. But um, yeah. so that was... That was the hardest thing. Um, I I had my life threatened about once a week. There, no kidding. Just wow. Because I was trying to enforce the rules. Yeah. And, and um, that didn't go really well. So, so uh, a job in in uh, law enforcement was not for you. No. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a cop. Yeah. But I, but <laughs> then you got some no. taste yeah. of what it's like. Yeah. No, I I went all the way through my PhD program. This what is was the, your PhD the, in? This is the Lord's providence. I went all the way through my PhD program and I was the first guy to work full time the whole time. Oh, wow. And I did. That's and remarkable. I could be, a, I was a security guard because I could study yeah. five hours out of an eight hour shift. Right. 
So my PhD was in New Testament studies, specifically um, Pauline studies. So, yeah, I wrote. I love you. Yeah. It's <laughs> my favorite. I wrote, I wrote my dissertation on um, an approach to Paul that says uh, that where, where people say that Paul says that the Jewish people don't need Jesus to be right with God that uh, God is the savior of Israel and Jesus is the savior of Gentiles and it's wrong post-Holocaust hermeneutics. Uh, Jews ought never to evangelize. Uh, Christians ought never to yeah. evangelize Jews and it's uh, anti-Semitic if you do mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And I, I just basically did 350 pages of counterpunching. Okay. So did you enjoy the process? Yeah, I liked, I liked writing. I really believed in, in my, in my topic um, and, uh, it was the research. Did you like spending that much time yeah. reading and researching all the stuff and the, yeah. Okay. I did. I mean, it's work. Um, thank, thank Jesus for the Garrett theological seminary library, which was an enormous library and they had a hundred students <laughs> and they, the students never used the books in the library. And so I got, I got uh, privileges there. Yeah. And that's where I wrote my dissertation. I didn't use Trinity's library because all the books were always gone. They yeah. were always gone. Right. But not at Garrett. And so uh, they had all the four language stuff, you know, French and German stuff. Which that's fantastic. I had to learn and test out of that and had to use that. For yeah, for people project. who don't know, in order to, be a, to get a PhD in the New Testament, for example, you need to know is so much of the stuff out of Germany for periods yeah. of time was yeah. forming everyone's opinion that you have to be able to read it in its original language. And so, yeah. And it never, gets, have, it never have, gets translated. Right. You know? And you have to, so you have to be able to read French and German, read it and you have to take tests yeah. in French and German. So if you meet somebody who's got a, a PhD in new Testament in particular, that's, that's the, that's the gig that they went through. They're yeah. crazy people. They <laughs> studied like, foreign, two foreign crazy. languages in addition to Greek and Hebrew, and so they sat down and took tests on on whether they could read it or not. Yeah. You still read it? Um, I can in a pinch. It would it would take me, you know, probably six months to get my German back up to speed. Did you ever speak it? Did you ever learn to speak it? No, you know what? Um, we never had to speak it. It was always you just had to be able to read it. Yeah. And so I. So if you went to Germany, you'd say write it down. That's what you'd say. Uh, that's exactly they would what write I would it down, say. and you'd be like, "Oh, I know what you're saying." <laughs> And I don't even know how to say that. Schrift bitter or something. I don't. I don't know what that would be even right. now. So, but yeah, yeah. So, what, did you go to? Did you work at Moody? Because that's that's how most people around here know of you as yeah. as a Moody professor. Yeah. Uh, did you work there and right out of seminary? No, I actually when I when we moved up here, I worked as a security guard for four years. Tried to find teaching jobs. I was ABD, all but dissertation at that yeah, yeah. point. Couldn't find a job anywhere teaching. And so um, I, I kept having churches ask me to candidate. And so I thought, well, okay. And I had done an interim pastorate in Madison, Wisconsin, that went really wonderfully well. Okay. And it made me think, well, you maybe. know, maybe, maybe I should be back in ministry. And, and so I um, took a church in the Chicagoland area and, uh, and it was pretty much like it was before. You know, I really struggled yeah. for all kinds of reasons. But I had my doctorate at this point, uh, a couple of years into that, and I was there five years, about two and a half years into it. I got my doctorate, and then a couple of years after that, uh, things opened up at Moody, and I knew I just needed, I really needed to get out of pastoral ministry, just for my sake, but also for the sake of right. any churches around who might 
who might want me. And so <laughs> I, you know, I fit Moody's, Moody's rubric perfectly. I think I was 43 years old when I started there. So I was not a kid. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of practical experience and I'm a, a good pre-trib dispensationalist, which is what their theology yep. is. And I had a Trinity PhD, not a Dallas PhD. Which would have been different. Which, which, well, it was, and it was especially I mean, appealing to the accrediting agencies yeah. because they had a lot of Dallas guys on staff. That's right. That's Moody, what I mean. And so they wanted to be able to broaden that. So I had a sort of a Dallas similar doctorate, but it wasn't Dallas. Yeah. Which helped. Yeah. So you get in, you're teaching New Testament then. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. Uh, New Testament hermeneutics. I taught a lot of Greek, um, a lot of courses related to the New Testament, life of Christ. Yeah. I taught all the way through Paul's epistles. And, yeah. Um, you know, loved it. Did you like it, initially, it. Mike, when you got involved in this, did, was it just, was there a moment where you you realized this is my groove? Oh, yeah, I could tell. Um, in my my first day that I came home from teaching, right? Mm -hmm. I walked in and I said to my wife, and she just cracked up. I said to her, "I love my job," oh. and I I don't think she ever probably heard me say that when I was in pastoral ministry. Yeah. You know, shame on me, but I just. And so I was, I was in my sweet spot. That was my wheelhouse. I always wanted to be a teacher, you know? And so now I was back in the classroom just teaching and now I'm teaching the Bible. Yeah. And the Moody students um, were great. I, I loved it. They were, they were young, they were wild and crazy and they loved Jesus. And I was old and wild and crazy and I loved Jesus. Yeah. And so it was a great, it was a great relationship with them. Um, I'm happy to say, you know, it's, uh, they've had a change in some leadership down there. And so, um, I'm going to be back at Moody part-time in the fall. Oh, teaching, that's fantastic. Teaching a couple classes. Yeah. That's so great. Really that should be that. exciting for you. Yeah. I'm nervous about it. Um, the Kennedy's torn up. And so I have a 108 mile commute round trip oh, yeah. every day. And so that could be a nightmare. And, uh, and the students have changed, I think a little bit and, uh, they've, They've got a new software delivery system that I'm going to have to learn. It took me a decade to learn the old one. <laughs> no, so, so now i got to go back and figure this out. But I have friends of mine telling me, oh, we'll walk you through it. It's much easier than the old one. So I'm excited about being back in a college classroom. It's going to be great. So what was your favorite? Like, how many years were you, did you teach professionally? Um, almost 20. Okay. If you look back upon it, absolute favorite thing and as absolute not so favorite thing. Um, yeah, I mean, um, the favorite thing was what I just described, you know, my relationship with the students and uh, especially with my teacher assistants. You know, I chose them very carefully and usually tried to Did get... Did you get a TA every term? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And usually I try to get one um, at the start of their sophomore year and keep yeah. them all the way through. Yeah. And then those were, kind of relationship. Those were the... Those were the the young people that I sort of discipled, mentored, yeah. you know, and I mean, I did that with a lot of others, but especially them. And so that was, that was, um, I'm assuming that a lot of those really folks joy. though, now that you look, look at it are probably many of them involved in ministry now. Yeah. Still one of them, um, kid I taught, I, I think I taught him all the Greek he has. So just first year and exegesis. Yeah. Went to Dallas. His name is Pete. His name is Pete Gurry. Okay. He worked with Dan Wallace there on, yeah. on text critical stuff. Yeah. Went to Cambridge University and got a PhD in text criticism, and he's teaching at Arizona um, Seminary. That's fantastic. Now. Pete Gurry, you know. Okay. I, I love that kid. He was my TA for three years, yeah. you know. so Well, you get to see. Fun. I mean, one of the beauties of that is especially in, in the seminary. So you get to see 
uh, your work multiplied over the years, right? Yeah. You get to invest in the lives of these these yeah. students who then go on and take what you've tried to teach them, and yeah. they grow on top of it, and then eventually they end up pastoring churches and teaching crazy It'll, things. You get to, there's a special joy in your heart to see other people yeah. succeed with the stuff that yeah. you gave them. Yeah, it, that's it's very gratifying to see the Lord do that. You know, it really is. Uh, the the worst thing that happened, or the hardest, strangest thing, you know, I got laid off at Moody. Oh. After almost after almost twenty years, and that would have been heartbreaking. It, came, it was, it was. It came absolutely out of the blue, and um, you know, there's different reasons for it. Um, some of them, some of them, my fault. Um, largely, I thought pretty unfair. Of course, I would think that. Um, but I, I just uh, as hard as it was, you know, I'm a good Calvinist, and so I told myself, look, I've been laid off by Moody Bible Institute and God. And God is a loving and sovereign God. And so everything that passes to us comes through his grid of loving sovereignty. And so this is part of his loving design for my life. And, um, and once I, you know, I mean, I always, I always knew that sometimes it takes a while for it to go from the head to the heart. Right. And that took probably about two weeks for me to be able to really process that. Yeah. And, um, well, losing anything that you love, uh, requires a level of mourning. Yeah. And it was, it was all of that. So I was, that was really hard. That was super hard. So was that, uh, which, where would you put that in one of the hardest things that you've had to deal with in your adult life? Yeah, I would say that's, that was the hardest thing. Okay. Yeah. What other things have you learned from um, to trust? I mean, ultimately what I'm asking you is what kinds of things have you learned to trust Jesus through? Um, if you had to sit down and tell somebody who's younger yeah, than you. Yeah, well... Um, so I also then, you know, um, four years later, got laid off from Harvest Bible Chapel. And, <laughs> right. and you did. yeah, I did. And uh, um, that was that was a real similar kind of experience. Um, you know, I, I had had walked with the staff through some really very challenging, yes. difficult times, yeah. unbelievably difficult times. And I watched them suffer and work and stay faithful to the Lord and to their people here. And, um, I absolutely, I'm probably going to cry about it now. I come, came to love the staff, yeah. love the staff. And, um, and one of the primary reasons why I'm still here besides your Bible teaching is because I just love the staff mm. and, um, and I don't want to go anywhere else. I see those people and they're all my friends. Yeah. And so they're a noble group of people. The, the, the guts it takes to walk a church through the kind of difficulty this yeah. church faced is not common. No, yeah. no. And they, they were, you know, the vast majority of them. Um, I mean, a lot are gone, but, but a lot are still here. And just um, their tenacity in, in a good, sanctified, tenacious way, how they just hung in there and persevered was yeah. really something to see. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mike, uh, I think you're fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I would. I could talk to you about a thousand other things. Yeah. Uh, next time we get together, I'm going to try to convince you uh, of my view on Romans chapter seven, which will be easy because I'm right. Twenty five words or less <laughs> right now. Just tell me what Paul it is. is a representative Jew. He's writing is as a Christian about his former life as a representative Jew, but he writes broadly enough so that he is uh, explaining what it's like to be somebody who's trying to fulfill God's law but is unable to do it because of sin in his members. The delivery that he gets from that is found in the gospel. 
so that there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's Paul writing from the standpoint of an unbeliever. Paul writing from a standpoint of a Christian describing his unbelieving right. past. We actually ah, Mike, agree. We're there. That's right where my master's thesis is on it. I loved, I loved that. Anyway, even t- to this day, I, I always enjoy teaching that cl- a class on that passage. We used to use it a lot of times uh, to teach uh, contextual Bible reading because there's a lot of contextual oh, yeah. clues that indicate this. You're right, right. Uh, and it's a subject that if you read the context pretty clear, if you carry a theological agenda or you carry right. a feeling into it, you're like, it's not that. But the text is pretty, yeah, pretty honest about it. So, yep, yep. yep. Uh, really quickly, you still into football? Um, not so much. I'm a diehard Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Okay. So let's have a moment of silence because of grieving about how things have gone for them over the last twenty years. They are a historic, great program yeah. now. But but not in the last no. Not the last Tom, years. Uh, what's his name? Scott Frost. Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne yeah, was he the, was he was great. Yeah, he was back in the else. days when they would run. Grind it out against Oklahoma. Actually, I actually had dinner with Tom Osborne did one you? time. I did. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he was like Nebraska coach forever. Long time. But they won a lot back then. I think Nebraska three, three used to be like the legit. Yeah. Like, like Alabama legit. Yeah. They were phenomenal. They just fired their co- coach last year and hired a new coach. And so we'll see how it goes. Okay. You know. So I'm, I've been told, though, that one of the things that great college football fans should do one is to go to, to like some SEC games, but I've been told that uh, watching the Cornhusters play in Lincoln, Nebraska, is unlike oh. any other place. Ninety-two thousand people in Memorial Stadium in the all-boy red. Yeah, and they all are uh, pretty exuberant. Yeah, so. and like the whole town empties yeah. for this. It's it's uh, it's the third largest town in Nebraska when the state when they when there's a whole a home game. <laughs> You know, you got Omaha, then you got Lincoln, then you got Grand Island. And so it's bigger than Grand Island, a little bit smaller than Lincoln when it's, there's a home, home game. Yeah. I actually read something a few weeks ago that said that Lincoln, Nebraska is one of the best small cities in the United States. It is. It's great. I had had no idea. We have have family there, you know? So yeah. Um, we were thinking someday we might relocate there. If our kids ever leave the Chicago area, you know, where would we relocate? And we thought we'd go to Lincoln because up until about five years ago, you could buy a palace for next to nothing. Mm. It's not true anymore. Because people are discovering that it's one of the best small cities in America. Fantastic. It is great to talk to you. God bless you. Uh, it's great to have you. You you are actually, Lord willing, going to be involved in the leadership at Harvest more and more in the future, we're hoping, in the next coming so. days. Yeah. So we're. I'm just thrilled about that. So yeah, um, anyway, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. The rest of you, we will uh, catch you next time.